Podcast Starts. Hello everyone and welcome back to a Now the Podcast Starts, a show which talks about horror, cinema and anything related that takes the interest of my wonderful co-hosts or myself. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but you can call me Dan, in Greater Manchester, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by... Kirsty Warrow. <laughs> in Shropshire still. Not gone anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, well, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm very glad about. Um, how are you this week, Kirsty? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. A little bit colder, um, but yes, no, pretty good, thank you. Uh, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up for me as well. Um, overall, I suppose. Okay, so just to let the listener know, the main feature of today's episode will be a recorded chat between Stella and myself uh, from last October, in which we give non-spoiler reviews of five newish horror feature films which we saw at Grimfest in Manchester. Some of these films are now on wider release in the UK, and we'll give details of where to find them at the end of the episode. Uh, But first, let's deal with the present day. Uh, This week in the UK, we've been given some confusing instructions by our government to go back to work if we can't work from home, uh, but also not to go back to work if that's difficult. Um, Luckily, I mean, I'm working from home anyway, such uh, being a carer. Um, I I imagine that's muddled the waters for you a little bit, though, Kirsty. Yeah, um, obviously the government have said 1st of June um, as a potential return date for, you know, some school children, which would include um, some of the ones that I teach. Um, but it's just very uncertain. There's no, not an awful lot of guidance at the moment about how that's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, so there's some thinking and talking and planning to be done in the next few weeks. Uh, yes, and all of that sounds marvellous fun. Oh, um, indeed. <laughs> As always. Um, well, hopefully we'll we'll still have horror and uh, horror-adjacent things to <laughs> kind of keep us uh, in high spirits. Yes. Or slightly high spirits. Um, what have you had on your mind recently? Well, um, there's a couple of pieces of kind of, uh, yeah, horror and horror-adjacent news that have come out um, from the entertainment um, uh, world in the last uh, couple of days. So I'm just looking at the moment, um, 36 minutes ago, at the point of which I'm saying these words, uh, Neil Gaiman on his uh, Facebook um, has uh, published a cast list for um, the audio version of um, uh, his Sandman um, graphic novels, which were you know, kind of cult um, uh, uh, graphic novels um, from the early 2000s. Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of focusing on these big kind of mythic elemental um, kind of characters. Um, and, yeah, James McAvoy um, playing the central character. Um, Neil Gaiman on board himself as the narrator. I quite enjoy um, listening to him talk. Um, so that would be good. Um, and my favourite character in the whole um, franchise is uh, the kind of slightly you know, kind of punky, um, gothy, uh, death, female death character who's, um, I'm quite pleased to see, Kat Dennings um, has been cast as uh, as death. Oh, and Michael Sheen, God love him, um, is playing <laughs> playing Lucifer. So that looks, and other names as well, Taron Egerton, Samantha Morton, uh, Riz Ahmed, Andy Serkis. So an all-star lineup for that one. Um, so that's quite exciting. Pretty if amazing. If you're a Neil Gaiman fan, as I am. Uh, I am too. Um, I have read the first Sandman graphic novel. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of wonderful stuff. 
I'm sort of aware of uh, of a lot of his other things, um, but I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge. I, for instance, I'm aware that um, you know there've been audio and and also TV adaptations of his work quite regularly over the last couple of years. So we've had Good Omens and um, which is Terry Pratchett as well as Gaiman, but you know, um, and also American Gods um, on TV. And also Good Omens was on the radio, and so was Neverwhere, which also starred James McAvoy in the radio version. Is the audio version of The Sandman um, from the same stable as those? So, I'm not um, sure. It's, they're putting it out through um, Audible. Um, so, I would say um, yes, then. Yes. Um, yeah, because the, the BBC radio version of Neverwhere uh, was written and directed by Dirk Maggs, um, who now works with Audible and, and does all of their uh, Alien Universe um, material and their X-Files stuff. Um, so I think it, it probably is him given that track record. And I know that those are the kind of actors... Oh, it it is. I've just, just managed to get a, um, a link to a Hollywood reporter who is, you know, talking about it, um, executive produced by Dirk Max. So you were are, you are right. Right, yeah. he's He's very good at what he does, so... That will be great. Um, uh, and although I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of adapting, uh, you know, a graphic novel, a comic strip to the radio or to the audio medium, because it's it's a completely different medium uh, sensorily. Um, and you, you have that choice of do you either transform the material so that it entirely stands on its own in the new medium or do you kind of make somehow make a soundtrack to the comic? I, you know, I like the yeah. idea of reading along the book while listening to the audio, but I don't know whether that will um, be something that they'd encourage. Well, um, I mean, I think you know that there's a rich tradition, Daniel, as I'm sure you are aware of. You know, kind of dive, you know, sort of having slightly different versions of, uh, you know. I, a, a narrative across different medium um so you know um, dan and i are both big fans of um douglas adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which you know did that um rather well and you know there's that kind of sense of that that what the canon is is sort of you know a little bit kind of wibbly wobbly oh yeah there's um, um there's always room for a multiplicity and by yes. the way dirk mags also did hitchhikers um the that does not surprise me yeah yeah does not surprise me series, um are all him um no i i just find myself wondering because um i mentioned that dirk's uh other productions include the alien franchise uh audios that audible do and some of those are based on um you know literary fiction novels but some of them are based on graphic novels and i know that i haven't done it but i've heard from some fans that for instance last year's one which was um William Gibson's Alien 3, it was the original script of the movie Alien 3, which was adapted last year into both a graphic novel and an audio. And I know that some fans have kind of listened to the audio while reading the graphic novel. So you get um, the two things work together and apparently it worked quite well. Oh, but, OK. Um, so I'm just wondering if, if, if they encourage that kind of approach. But I know that The Sandman as a movie and a TV show has been in kind of development hell for a very long time. Yes, so, long. Um, 
it, it's it's about time that something was 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 made of it. And maybe as with you know good omens, the radio or audio version will kind of kickstart uh, a visual adaptation. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, so I've got some other news as well, which is, again, related to kind of horror franchise. Um, so okay. last uh, last week, um, uh, uh, basically, there had been for a while some talk about a Clarice Starling television series. All right, okay. Um, which now seems like it's, it's a go. They've cast a um, former Home and Away uh, uh, actress called Rebecca Breeds um, in the lead role as Clarice Starling. Um, I'm, I've got to be honest, as a, as a Hannibal fan, I'm not quite sure what I think about that, just because... So um, are we to assume that... It is not related to the Hannibal series? It is not related. Oh, okay. So right. basically... Um, and this is kind of quite interesting from a, at least a, you know, kind of industry point of view. So when Brian Fuller um, and NBC were doing Hannibal, there was obviously a lot of kind of talk and speculation about at what point would Chloe Starling be kind of folded into the, you know, the kind of version of Thomas Harris's stories that Brian Fuller was, was telling. Um, and uh, Fuller himself said, you know, kind of quite a few times that he would really like to do that. But what's what was strange about it is that the um, the Dino De Laurentiis company who owned the rights for kind of Hannibal and that character, those characters, they didn't own the rights for Clarice Starling. Oh, okay. So they couldn't leave. They were trying to, you know, kind of do a deal so that, that she could be included. It's a bit, bit like the, you know, Spider-Man and um, MCU thing. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. So they were trying to do a deal where she could be included, but they never kind of got to do it. And um, what Brian Fuller said uh, that he wanted to do or what he would have done had she been able to be included is that he would have cast a, you know, a, a kind of young uh, woman of colour in that role rather than, you know, kind of the kind of Jodie Foster, you know, oh, Julianne Moore. Um, yeah, which would have been really, really interesting. Um, and so this this new um, uh, television series, which is obviously in development as much as anything can be in development right now, um, is, uh, you know, again, she's a, nothing, I don't know Rebecca Breeds, but uh, she, you know, she's, she's a young Caucasian actress. Um, so it's, you know, it's a little bit disappointing on that kind of represent, representation front that they've not gone with a sort of slightly edgier choice. Um, sure. But only because, you know, that's what Fuller would have done. And yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, that how that as a television series develops and to what extent does it connect to any other previous versions or or if it's just completely fresh, you know. Yes, I mean, presumably Hannibal Lecter might be in it as a character. Um I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, because she's such an iconic character. Um, and, you know, there, there are so many now, and particularly in the kind of crime fiction, aren't they? Um, kind of female-led shows. Um, but probably because because Chloe Starling exists, or at least at least in part because she exists. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. But I, I'd heard um, slightly differently about uh, their intentions for Clarice had they been able to include her in Hannibal. Um, I had heard that an intention would have been to cast Ellen Page. Um, oh, that's right, yeah. 
I put that down to one of the main directors and producers of Hannibal was David Spade. Oh, yes. Who directed Ellen Page's first movie, Hard Candy. Yes. So so there's a pre-existing relationship there. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd not heard of that, actually. So that's, that's a new one for me. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah. It, you know, it still wouldn't have had that um, kind of ethnic uh, change, which would make it uh, edgier. But at the same time, there's... Ellen Page is just quite an interesting performer, and I think that would have been worth seeing. But yeah, um, I'm, well, in any case, I'm 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 kind of sad that what's being done now isn't related to Hannibal. But yeah. um, uh, we'll get into that in a future episode. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I still haven't seen as we speak. I haven't watched the third series of Hannibal, so I haven't. I still haven't seen the whole series. Okay, so um, that's yeah. But, that's but, that's the more bonkers one. <laughs> you yeah, that's possibly why I've not watched it. I've kind of heard mixed things about it, but um, but I do want to see it because I loved the first two series so much. Um, by the way, just quickly, but because it relates to something we mentioned in our first episode. Um, I've now seen uh, Alex Garland's Devs, which is currently available on the BBC iPlayer. Yeah. And I think it's it's worth mentioning because um, I think it's not even really horror adjacent. Um, although it does have that uncanny valley quality yeah. that we were talking about in, yeah. in, in the, some of the strangeness of the um, kind of moving scientifically beyond the bounds of what we understand as reality. And it also had a moment in it that made me think of your um, conception that you've discussed of um, kind of aesthetic horror. Um, yeah. In the, there's the sequence um, early in the series where a character immolates themselves, and which is obviously a pretty horrific thing, but, but most of what you see in on the screen is through CCTV footage of the incident yeah so you just get this kind of billowing white flame uh and and it has a kind of negative emotional impact because you're empathizing with the people who knew that character and who are watching the screen but also the visual quality of it is just uh is kind of transcendentally beautiful in a very strange way yeah um, it is I'm, i mean yeah i've it's, I mean, it's not a spoiler to talk about that because it's the, that's the kind of catalyst event for the whole series, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I just, you know, I think I, I also finished it this week and, um, uh, and you know, myself and my husband, we both just sort of sat there and went, wow. <laughs> you know, it's so, yeah, the transcendental kind of descriptor, I think, is really apt. We, we were both kind of, we went into the kind of last episode kind of going, I hope that it does, you know, kind of has a finite ending. Um, so many, you know, television shows sort of so clearly set themselves up for a continuation, renewal with the network. Um, and I kind of felt that this, it did have a, you know, a finite ending, but there was maybe some space to come back, but I'm not sure I want that to happen. I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was satisfying it all, you know, as a, an experience just by itself. Yes, it was. And I think it had the kind of satisfying ending, which is yeah. that you're happy that the book is over or whatever, but you are left in a position where you can imagine uh, things, future developments for the characters. But I, I, those are the kind of things which I think are probably better in your head than if they made a second series to explore. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I hope it's fine. It has been mooted that um, apparently Alex Garland 
liked working with the cast so much that he'd like to make an older series with the same cast, but which wasn't connected. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so they're all playing different characters. Well, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's. I mean, again, <laughs> so not not with horror, Dan. But I, I, I think my one of my first reaction at the end of the film, uh, at the end of the television series, was <gasps> I really need to write about this, and I also really need to write about it in and think about it in relation to um, uh, his first film, um, Ex Machina, because there's a very clear link. I think they're lovely inverse companion pieces in that they're about the same idea but inverted but sort of reflected in each other i I think you're quite right and just to kind of pull this uh, discussion a little bit back to relevance to horror i do think both ex machina and devs are terrifying at points oh yeah yeah Um, there's there's a great deal of tension in in devs um ex machina has two kind of poles of weird terror to it which is one is the kind of android characters and just the way they're depicted visually and the way they act and the strangeness of the fact that as a viewer you can't quite process whether they're human or not or how you should feel about them but then there are also kind of explosions of violence and things and and threat that that kind of permeate the action i definitely feel certainly ex machina is is horror adjacent and devs is um you know, a, like a muscular thriller, really, with transcendental moments. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely gripping, and I'd recommend it um, highly. Yeah, absolutely. And also, just a special shout-out to uh, Sonoya Mizuno, who's in both, and who's quite sort of, you know, she's she's she particularly impressed me with Devs because of her very quiet and restrained performance um, in Ex Machina. I'd forgotten she was in Ex Machina. Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget as well because she's, you know, kind of so different, um, both kind of physically and also just in, you know, kind of the type of character she's playing. To be honest, I'd not forgotten. I didn't know she was in it. I've seen the film. Yeah. I assume she's the dancing yes. robot. Yes, okay. she is. Wow. No, um, so any any listeners who've not seen Devs, um, go check it out. Absolutely. I'd recommend it. Um, certainly to science fiction fans, but um, anyone who, who likes a good kind of edgy thriller, really, as well, It's it's got that in it. Um, and just really beautifully made and um, full of cinematic uh, kind of awe that is generated in, in kind of the best science fiction, I think. Um, which is not the genre that this podcast's about. No. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we've, that, that's been a bit of a digression. But anyway, so I, I think what we shall do now is segue into our main feature. Stella and myself discussing the feature films we saw at Grimfest in Manchester back in 2019. Um, please, a note to the listener... Um, we do play clips from trailers for all the films um, that we saw, except for uh, Why Don't You Just Die? Because that trailer um, is in Russian. And uh, basically, I didn't think that would work very well on an audio podcast aimed at an English-speaking audience. Um, but apart from that, um, hopefully you'll um, you'll get a good sense of each movie and, um, well... Uh, I'll hand over to my uh, past self and Stella to 
to talk more about those. Uh, Kirsty and present day me will be back at the end to give information about where you can find some of the films and also to do our usual round of horror recommendations for the week. So um, over to the past. Okay, so here we are with our post-Grimfest discussion. Hello, Stella. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Hello. And um, this is wonderful because this is the second year that we've been to Grimfest. Um, and the trouble with Grimfest is it's loads of fun, but you don't really get time to talk about films because they throw so many films at you. So many films at you. Yes, and there's no real time for food or thought it's about time to go to the loo in between some of the films and that's about it really for the whole day so if you don't come um supplied with your own little provisions to get you through the whole day a special horror picnic yes um which i think is essential um it might be nice to talk about grimfest for a minute for people who've not been uh grimfest is the big manchester festival of fantastic films that happens every year in october although um, Grimfest, or the organisation, I think it's called Grim Up North. Yes. Um, they organise kind of little events, smaller events, screenings and things kind of throughout the year. Yeah. Um, so this is my third Grimfest event because I went to uh, Grim, the main Grimfest with yourself um, last year. And then in June, they did a Hammer Films double bill screening in Stockport. I think they do... Um, regular screenings at the Stockport Plaza. They do at the Plaza. It's not monthly, but it's not it's not far off. All right, okay. So if, if you go on their website, they have a good um, list of what they're going to show over the next few months. Oh, so it's okay. definitely worth checking out. And the Plaza's beautiful as well. It's worth going there. It's a really beautiful, old-timey, um, <laughs> well, theatre. It's even got one um, the old school uh, organ down the front for playing yes. along to silent movies. Palladium is the word That's that I was looking word. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, I have been to a few classic film screenings there, and the uh, the organ does come up. They, they, they usually show a, a few old-timey short films yeah. or adverts or things to get you into the mood, and then the the organ comes up and they have a little bit of a, a play along, and then the movie plays, and yeah. it's a, it's a great experience all around. My um, friends got married there as well. And they had the organ, and that was odd. <laughs> I also had friends who got married there. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> it, it is, and it's um, it's a lovely uh, wedding venue. Mm. Um, I don't know about your friends, but um, my friends Ross and Laura got married there, and when we turned up, you know, they they've done out the um, uh, the kind of notice board uh, at the front of the cinema, so it says screening today, Ross and Laura's yeah. wedding. And yeah, they did that, that as well. Yeah, yeah I so. remember. But basically, Grimfest, the full festival, is four days long. Thursday, Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday, all day. Both times we've been, we've only been able to do this Saturday, really. Yeah. Um, and we've had to leave before the last film. Yeah. Because of the logistics of, of buses home and, and, and things like that. Um, but uh, it's well worth going along. I, I really wanted to go back on the Sunday to, to catch a couple more films, but ended up... <laughs> it's a bit too much of an effort. something else. I went to go. I, I got my, my, my fix of a little extra horror by going to see Ready or Not in Oldham instead. Oh, right. Which is marvellous fun. Good, good. Yeah, I'm pleased to say. Yes, I would recommend it to anyone who likes the horror film and kind of slightly comedic, slightly evil dead-ish horror yeah. film. But also I would say... Do not watch the trailer under any circumstances because I watched it after I saw the film. It's like, oh, that's that's showing the best bits of the film. Oh. Like, 
not just like out of context, but enough so you can grasp and so avoid the trailer. But it's great fun watch. Um, watch the film. Yeah. So, random mention of film we're not talking about. Uh, so today we'll talk about the um, five feature films and nine short films that nine. We, we saw last Saturday, which was the fifth of October, twenty nineteen, and all of these films have not yet uh, got a wide release. No. Um, in this country. Some of them have got releases coming up. We'll mention that as we go film by film through. So we'll start with the film that basically the the avalanche of horror on, on Grimfest Saturday <laughs> begins at half past ten in the morning. So, in the yeah. so there's a breakfast horror film and <laughs> and uh, this, this year it was uh, Tone Deaf, written and directed by Richard Bates Jr., which was an interesting movie to start the day with. I'll, I'll give us a plot summary, which is uh, read straight out of the Grimfest programme to just give you an idea what, what kind of movie it is. It's an American film, um, and here's the plot. A young woman decides to spend a few quiet days in the countryside after losing her job and having her latest complicated relationship implode. Unfortunately, the old-fashioned widower she rents a house from is in the middle of a psychopathic breakdown. Yay. <laughs> um, yes, otherwise it would be boring. I've lived a good life. I've done it all except for one thing. I don't know how it feels to kill someone. That's an itch I never got around to scratching. You're firing me? Can you at least let me go at the end of the week? Come on, it's almost free lunch Friday. I deserve that meal. Please don't make me call security. You need to get out of the city for a bit. Consider this your eat, pray, love moment. Well, I hope you have a lovely stay. Don't hesitate to call me if you need anything. I'm just down the road. I'm gonna text you the address. If you call and I don't pick up, I'm being objectified and tortured by a hillbilly. I didn't really think this through. It just gets easier and easier. Take so much before he cracks. Is that a tomahawk? Textbook cultural appropriation, man. Jesus. This movie began one of the several themes of the day, which I identified as the dangers of Airbnb. Yes. That, that came through quite a lot. Although I don't, um, she does use Airbnb to find the place, but it, obviously <laughs> with it being a film, they can't show Airbnb, so they mocked up a website, which is clearly Airbnb, but they've changed the name. <laughs> I think it was called R&R. R&R, that's, R &R, that's it, yeah. yeah, so yeah. To go and get some R&R, so what, what's so, R&R? Rest and recuperation? Yes. Yes. Uh, rest and recreation. Recreation. Uh, recreation, as our American cousins call yeah. it. So, but in the film, yeah. of which there was none. <laughs> yes, that's true. No recreation. Um, uh, well, so um, 
I'm going to ask you, um, mm-hmm. Stella, if, if you don't mind, I'll put you on the spot. How did you react to tone deaf? Well, I think we're going to start our um, film discussion here by disagreeing. <laughs> All right. Because I really enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of playing with the slasher, home invasion, hillbilly hick subgenres. Um, I thought it was set up really, really well. I, I did feel sympathy with, with the girl. And then in Call Together, it was put together very well. There was some talking straight-to-camera moments from um, the wonderful Robert Patrick, which I really enjoyed. Yes, Patrick plays the uh, the noted psychopathic landowner. Yeah, the, in the old-fashioned guy is having a... Looking shockingly old, although probably... We're shockingly his... old. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. It probably is just his real age. I suddenly realised it's, it's even 20 years since he was in the X-Files. Yes. You know, so he's not going to look the same anymore. But... Yeah, well, it, while in my head he still looks like the handsome Terminator 1000 from yes. T2, but he definitely did look like your granddad, mm. which is fine. Um, but yeah, I thought overall it was really good. I think it probably could have been a bit more tense in places. Like, it, try, it was trying to be really tense, but... I didn't feel the tension. Maybe that was because they offset it with quite a bit of comedy. Mm. There was one particular scene that I found difficult to watch. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Basically, the uh, the central, the girl, she wears contact lenses. I wear contact lenses. Um, there's a spider mistaken for a contact lens incident, and I'm <laughs> terrified of spiders, <laughs> and she puts said spider far too close to her eye, and... Um, Yes. I mean, I'm a horror fan, I'm a horror scholar, but that was one of the few things where I sat in the cinema and I had to close my eyes and look away and go, no. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, no, I mean, I agree, although I did, I, I'm also a contact lens wearer, mm-hmm. uh, although not right now. And I remember thinking, if I picked up a, a thing that I thought was a contact lens and it was a spider, I had realised before I put it in my eye. <laughs> maybe <laughs> but, she's just really, really short-sighted. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, maybe, and that has limited feeling in her fingertips. I, I, I don't know. So, but yeah, overall, I I really enjoyed that film, and you weren't so uh, enamoured. Uh, well, I think I want to surprise you. Actually, I did like it. Um, I I might have been seemed a little bit annoyed with with some of it, but um, what um, annoyed you? Uh, well, it's just that I think mainly that the tone kept shifting so much. You know, it's um that. The, it's now it's tense and frightening. Now now it's doing a joke. Right. Now Robert Patrick is monologuing to the camera. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and there are there are some kind of setups that where you could kind of see the punchline coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are also some not. There was that fabulous, totally random scene where she basically goes out driving near to where she, the place where she's rented and she's trying to find shops and things and she ends up. Going to a place which says um, car wash. On <laughs> the it. car wash. <laughs> and, uh, and has this random encounter with a very strange uh, pseudo car wash attendant that goes in an unexpected way. And then turns out, without spoiling it, it turns out to be something that has no impact on the plot or anything. <laughs> but it's a wonderful little scene yeah. that kind of has a marvellous punchline to yeah. it. And I thought there was lots of stuff like that in it. And I would say as well, by the way, Robert Patrick um, is also the producer, I think. He was listed as one of the producers. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it, some of um, his money was in the production, because it, it is a great role for him. Mm. And and I think he, he loved it. And by the way, it's it's also... He just has so much to say in it, you yeah. know. Um, 
He's probably got more lines in this film than any film in his career. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's all right being a terrifying, mostly silent villain, yeah, like in Terminator Two. But actors like to speak and say <laughs> stuff, you know, occasionally, and and that was really good. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right with that, though, that you you could see how much Patrick was enjoying himself. Hmm. He really got stuck in, and I think yeah. That was it. That was enjoyable to watch how much fun he was having. Yeah, definitely. And I should say as well, I don't think she'll be mentioned much, but um, I think the actress who who played the lead is Amanda Crew. Yeah. And she is great. Mm-hmm. She looks a lot like the kind of typical gorgeous, skinny actress that a lot of these kind of movies at this budget level mm-hmm. have. And, and in a way, you can get a bit fed up of that because it makes it feel it's like a stock thing that you're just constantly fed. However, I thought she was great, mm-hmm. um, and I, I thought she she had the comic timing to carry the comedic. Yeah, bit. she carried it. But also, I did care about her. You know, there are sequences in the film where she's put in a level of physical peril, yeah. which um, I was on the edge of my seat, mm-hmm. um, and, and and did fear for her. Another bit that I think is worth mentioning is that it starts off with um, a flashback sequence in which her father. Um, played by Ray Wise, kills himself. And this trauma kind of informs the rest of her life. And then he appears in a dream sequence later on. And that's hilarious. Oh, the acid sequence. Yes, yeah. 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 I think if I'm going to have any problem with the movie, it would be the acid sequence. Because it's not like that when you take acid. Right, okay. (laughs) She had such literal lucid hallucinations where she was... And I think she termed it as well my acid dream right it's like i think you're pushing the uh, power of the hallucinogen right there um and yeah when the father does appear to her in that sequence because that's interesting i'd forgotten it was an acid trip i just thought it was a dream sequence she was finding out what 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 it was like that that would be my only issue with it really that i felt that the acid sequence was you wouldn't see that I think it's one of those things that's used as a device. In oh, a lot for sure. Of, yeah. It's kind of a lazy device, almost, really. Yeah. And, you know, you, I wouldn't normally give a filmmaker credit for leaning on something, except the stuff that Ray Wise does and says in the sequence yeah. is really funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, th- I thought that was fine. My main issue with the film, honestly, is the title. We didn't talk about this on the day, because um, we didn't have time. So um, it'd be interesting to see what your your take on it is. But it's like it's called tone deaf because she is tone deaf, mm-hmm. although she's a pianist, but mm-hmm. she's pretty terrible. And it kind of is a theme throughout the film that she sits down to play the piano and it obviously gives her a lot of pleasure, but it sounds awful. But I just remember thinking, but it doesn't sound like she's trying to play a tune, but playing it really badly. It just sounds like she's someone who has no musical knowledge sitting at a piano and going, <laughs> just hitting keys. Just having a go. And and no one's ever kind of corrected her on that. What happened in her piano lessons? <laughs> who was a piano teacher? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just thought, that's not strong enough to, <laughs> to kind of hang the structure of the whole film on. It's not really... Um, yeah. So does that, that seem a fair point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe it stands as a metaphor for the film because the film does have this wildly fluctuating tone mm. and therefore maybe it is a bit tone deaf mm. and you've got to, if you accept that and go with it though. Mm-hmm. Just, and this is a comparison that occurred to me at the time. I'd just seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is going to be quite a fatuous comparison, probably. <laughs> but... I saw Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood quite late because it came to the um, 
Heat and More Savoy, which gets films a couple of months late usually, which is good because you can go and see good films in a nice cinema and it's a reasonable <laughs> price. Without other um, people there. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that was a film that I kind of really didn't enjoy. And I'm still trying to work out why I didn't enjoy it because it's got loads of good reviews. But I think one of the main problems is that it's a bit all over the place and it's really long. So mm. even though the scenes in it are generally quite good or they, they contain really good things, everything about it is just drawn out so much that it yeah. almost it kills the timing, it kills the comic timing. Yeah. And it, unless you're in the mood, which I, you know I, I don't blame people if they are, to just watch a film where you just kind of... Uh, let it wash over yeah. you and, and can take ages with it. I found it really irritating. Tone Deaf, in a way, I found was just as messy as, as that movie. And mm-hmm. that. But because it was really pacey, I mean, the whole film is like 90 minutes. Less, 87 minutes. Right, so, okay. Yeah. So, you know, and so it never tried my patience yeah. on the, in the same way. And if there was a scene which I thought was really um, specious, mm-hmm. but, um, then I would kind of go... <sighs> For a second, but then there'd be another scene that was good, like almost immediately. Yeah. So I also think maybe the um, the the kind of to camera stuff doesn't entirely work. I think that's a device that you have to really earn. Yeah. Um, and I think it was nice to see, like Robert Patrick, uh, Robert Patrick monologuing, but I don't. I don't think. I think you've got to be careful in how you set those things up. I'm yeah. not sure it entirely worked, but that's not to say that some of those scenes weren't funny. Or, yeah. Um, it's almost like, what are they doing with those two camera scenes? Are they telling us that the characters know that we're watching? or Because if the, the guy, Robert Patrick's character, he's set up as having a mental break, would it have been better if he was just muttering to himself about yeah. these things yeah, rather yeah. than talking to us because yes. he, he knew we were there? It raises the question of what does it add to our understanding of the characters in yeah. the world because... If it was only Patrick's character who did that, mm-hmm. fair enough to a point. Yeah. Because you could imagine that maybe it was part of his paranoia. Yeah. Um, but other characters later do it as well, mm. um, without spoiling anything. So, yeah. and that's kind of it's like Patrick doing it is the setup for a gag, the payoff of which is other characters doing it yeah. later on. But I also kind of thought that's not enough really to yeah. justify breaking the fourth wall like that. But no, overall, I did enjoy the film and, um, you know, I think it was a good time and if, if it's on somewhere near you and it, and it's affordable, then check it out. Yeah. I do want to mention as well that it, it was nice to see a brief cameo appearance by Ray Santiago, mm-hmm. who I very much enjoyed in um, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead. So that was how we felt about Tone Deaf. I think yeah. it was quite a fun start to the day. It was. Um, and then the next film on the bill, just after lunch, not that we had a lunch break, was um, <laughs> Why Don't You Just Die? Or, um, should I try and pronounce this, Papa <laughs> Stokny, which is Russian. I don't know, Papa Stokny. Stokny. Um, Butchering that there, sorry. So it's a, a Russian <laughs> film directed by Kirill Sokolov, who turned mm. up, he, he wasn't there in person, but he did a um, an on-camera introduction to the film in English. Oh, he did, yeah, I enjoyed that. I yeah. thought that was a nice little touch for... Well, for us. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was just... I was charmed by him immediately mm-hmm. and, it, and it put me in a place to enjoy the film. It's fair to say that this was one of my favourites of yeah. the day. Um, well, should we look at the synopsis? Uh, yes, can, can you give us a read of that? So, Andre, a detective and the world's most horrible father, brings together a terrible group of people in his apartment 
his resentful actress daughter, an angry thug and a cheated cop. Each one of them has a reason to want revenge. Yes. It's an intriguing setup from that. Um, and I think the way it develops, though, is great because it's even more surprising than that. That um, description kind of makes it sound a bit formal, but it's more like a collision of random characters impacting on other characters. Yeah. And, that, and that brings them all to this mm-hmm. apartment. It's woven together very, very well. Yeah. And I think of of the day, I would I would say that was my favourite of, of the day, favourite film of the day. Uh, it's not my favourite, but it's definitely <laughs> it's one of my two favourites. So you know, um, I thought, and probably possibly the most, the best crafted yes. film of the day, while also just being hugely enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that it starts off with this character, Matt Faye, who's this young lad wearing a wonderful um, Batman hoodie. Batman it's hoodie got, from Primark. It's, got, um, <laughs> it it's the it's the 1989 Batman logo. I remember on on his hoodie that was what struck me straight away, and he just goes to this apartment, but he's got a hammer in his hand, um, or, <laughs> or secreted in inside his hoodie, which it brings us to the second theme of the day, which was hammer violence. Hammer violence. There's, there was a lot. Yeah. We should have counted how many people got bludgeoned to death by hammers <laughs> over the 14 hours that we were sat there. Should really have had a hammer count. Um, yes, next year. The, the week before this, <laughs> I also saw um, the, the newest Rambo film, Rambo Last Blood, which really isn't terribly good, but... Um, has <laughs> it was some... never going to be good. No, it was never going to be good, which is why I was, not, I was only vaguely disappointed by it. I knew what I was getting, and I wanted copious violence, and I got... <laughs> A fair old amount of violence, <laughs> quite a lot of which was committed with a hammer. So, and then, um, but but this takes hammer violence and and just violence in general to to another level, really. Yeah, um, but it wasn't. Um, some of it was comedic, mm. but it wasn't slapstick. So it was very very realistic violence. It, it wasn't, was really. It was, but I still wouldn't say it was like. What's the word? I wouldn't say it was splatter. I wouldn't say it was slapstick. It was just. Properly balls out violence. <laughs> yes, I mean I I think it's, it's so violent that you know the 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 film asks you or or makes you ask on a few occasions, could a person really survive this? Mm. But but it's it's more like no, because they don't. But there's lots there's kind of very drawn out death and um unexpected characters not being quite dead at, yeah. at certain points and things like that. Um, those those aspects of it of people not being quite dead and people of characters taking taking more and more things being done to them with 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 hammers and with drills and with TVs. <laughs> I thought yes. that was going to be death by TV at the start, but it yes. shifted. It was it was taking a bit from torture porn, I think, mm. because it was so realistically graphic that it, it it felt at times like we were leaning in, in leaning into a bit of torture porn, but then also leaning into a bit. It felt like a western at yes. times. I mean, oh. I know the score sort of added, gave that feel to it. It really did, yes. It was using music that sounded to me a lot like. I mean, it says here in the uh, in the grim guide that sort of tar- nods to Tarantino. So the mm. the little western sounding hooks that Tarantino uses in the Kill Bill movies, for example. Yes, um, we were hearing. So it felt. I think the use of music in the film generally was kind of review. Yeah, and I did, uh, and the way they shot the action. Mm. In this tiny apartment space, a very tiny as space. much as you could within that tiny space, mm. you have that kind of wild west feeling almost of like yeah. two characters standing on the opposite side of the space, like yeah. almost a shootout. Kind yeah, of thing. 
Yeah. And they yeah. used every single little bit of the space. Yeah. So it's it's set in a, in a Russian apartment in Russia. <laughs> yes. Curiously enough, and you know these apartments, they're not very big, mm. um, and it used that. Yeah, it's to, basically to good, good effect. I think there's basically three rooms, aren't there? There's the living room. Mm-hmm. There's a room off, uh, off to one side, and there's a kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you don't really see the other rooms. There's a bit where somebody gets smashed through the wall. Oh, there's in, the bathroom. In the fight. <laughs> oh, and the, and, and, and the, the bathroom. bathroom. Yeah, that was right. Now that you mentioned Torchborn, I feel like. Um, you're quite right to say that, and it makes me feel like I should kind of de-trigger it because, uh, you know, I think that that is a, a genre which has limited appeal. <laughs> um, and like, for instance, if I had not seen the film and somebody described it as being a bit torch-body, I would probably st- steer clear. Of right. It. But I think that it, the way it, ha- the, the movie has this structure whereby characters arrive at the this apartment and mm-hmm. then you have a flashback which kind of yeah. explains more about them yeah. and in a way it keeps identification with the characters and it keeps them charming or interesting to an extent mm-hmm. that you're not just watching them suffer and you, you can both care about them mm-hmm. but also laugh at the kind of farcical nature of the situation like yeah definitely um, a farce the escalating this is just yeah. getting worse yeah and worse and nobody's Nobody's looking good. Yeah, and then <laughs> the like, this. you know, think uh, th- things like, for instance, there's a whole sequence about a character is um, handcuffed in the bathroom and is trying to work out how to open the handcuffs, um, and the comedic play that comes out of whether the character will be able to get out of the handcuffs is uh, really well done. Are you going to mention the plug hole? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> the plug hole is like uh, guaranteed to elicit a reaction uh. from the audience. But yeah, um, I'd forgotten about that, to be honest. You but, lock uh, that away in a recess of your mind that you don't want to think about it again. Yes, oh dear. Um, <laughs> and you know, I should, the whole thing is done with a kind of charm. Like even, I mean, the um, the synopsis here describes Andre as the world's most horrible father. And he is horrible in general, but he's also quite charming. There's, he is quite charming. He, he is resented by family members and friends alike for various reasons, and some of that is justified. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of self-interested a little bit as well, but he's mm. also well, he's a cop, he's a detective, yes, isn't yes. he? So it seems that he he's a, he's a cop and a detective at home as much as he is at work. So I imagine that would be quite difficult to live with. Yes. Anyway, but at the same time, this this film kind of um, confronts him with the consequences of decisions he's made in the past. and The whole film could have just been called Consequences. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Everything kind of locks together beautifully, yeah. really. It's such a cleverly structured script mm-hmm. um, and really tightly realised. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can sort of sympathise a little bit with Andre in his kind of exasperation and his sense that, oh, no, <laughs> you know, this has happened, I should have known, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really liked that, and I really liked every, uh, the fact that everything in it was kind of purposeful. Yes. Um, it didn't feel like it wasted any time. There was one bit, which I'm, I can only vaguely say with that, because I, I don't want to make it into a spoiler, but there's a bit where um, there is discussion of child abuse, mm-hmm. and I kind of thought, I don't want this film to go in that direction, because mm-hmm. I could already tell from the tone of the film, even though it's... It's very violent and, and, and things, but it's, it's kind of too light-hearted to play around with that. Yeah. But the film knows 
how to deploy that card in a way that le- later on it, it all kind of fits together. Yeah. Um, and I was really pleased by that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I did read a review by Kim Newman where he said, in theory, you could remake this in English and not change anything. But there is something about the nature of the of the setting which kind of informs the characters For sure. a little bit and the tone. And, and it just made me think, I don't want them to remake it no. in English. I just want them to release it properly or yeah. make it kind of widely known. You know, every now and then you do get a breakthrough um, foreign language film. Yes. Um, I fear that this is just too violent to really be that. It's not yeah. going to win any mainstream awards, mm-hmm. but it's it's wonderful, really. So. It's a film as well. I know it's a horror-based podcast and this was a horror weekend. It would be a film that I would recommend to... People who are not horror fans. Yeah, it's I mean, not it a horror violent, film, but it's, it's not you know it's not going to frighten anyone. No, it's 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 a very violent black comedy. I mean, the comparison with Tarantino is appropriate. Yeah, I think on that level. I also felt it a bit um, echoed Danny Boyle's work a little bit as well, particularly Train Spotting. Oh, okay. I think the maybe it was the color palette, or just the way some some of the actually again I, I can't really say without giving it away, um, but yeah, some sometimes I felt a bit. A bit train spotting y oh, okay. <laughs> at times. Oh, that's really interesting. Actually, I'm looking at the photo right now and it's it's terrible, but because I haven't checked out the cast list alternately, I, I'm assuming that Alexander Kudnetsov plays Andre. So um, the young character Matvey is of uh, Vitaly Kaev. And, and the, the image that they've used to publicise the film is Matvey. Yeah. And. It's very like an image of you and McGregor from Trainspotting. Yeah, well, there's yeah. that as well. And it's yeah. in the carpet as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's reminding me of the kind of um, uh, the bad trip sequence in Trainspotting. Yeah, when he sinks yeah. into the carpet. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah that's, so I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, so that was a, a really good one. Yeah. So the next one is uh, Arctic. You ask yourself questions like, is the common denominator me all these times? One alcohol for me was the people that used it that made me toxic. I've always found myself gravitating toward chaos. Afraid of strangers, kid? You just gotta be careful out here doing this. A big farm right there, is that you? This process that we talk about, do you think it's possible to get someone out of it while they're in it? It's a boy. He's a good kid, but it seems like there's some broken support beams at home. I'm gonna give you a countdown. I want you to come down on it as hard as you can. You hear me, boy? Three. Two. One. One. Something drew us here. Not here with the wolves, huh? Always bringing trash in here. You are not a hero. You're gonna have to forgive me for what's coming. Wait, wait, wait!
play a little game. You're gonna pretend that your life isn't already over. This is an American movie written and directed by Tom Dotchie. It was his first film and he was actually present to talk about it on the screening. And I will um, read the plot synopsis. A comic book obsessed serial killer teaches his son how to get away with murder until the boy befriends a mysterious man, Holton, who threatens to expose their horrifying family secret. As Holton gets closer to the truth, he must not only fight for the young boy's life, but for his own. Stella, I think you've got feelings on this movie, <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you kick this one off. I do. This is my least favourite film of the day. Mine too. I think it uh, just missed the mark on so many points, so I've got extensive notes. <laughs> right. So it's my least favourite, first of all. So this, this guy, Arctic, Arctic, is a serial killer. If he's a serial killer, we don't see nearly enough kills. At all, it's alluded to that he's a serial killer. He's got some heads yeah, in his garden. Yeah, the, the first scene of the film, he's, he's attending to a bunch of a bunch heads of heads that he's or, or whole bodies maybe that he's buried in the garden and just left the heads visible. Yeah, but I don't um, think there's enough of the serial killer side of him. Well, I and, think I think you only see him kill two other people yeah. in the film. And um, it, so, comic book obsessed serial killer. There's not enough killings. I do love a serial killer, but not in a dodgy way. <laughs> I do love comics, again, not in a dodgy way, and I just think there could have been so much more done with the fact that he was obsessed with comic books, and the only thing it seemed that it did do with the serial killer who's obsessed with comic books was that he was quoting comic books every now and then, and when he did quote the prose from comic books, he was delivering it like it was poetry, almost, and mm. I think... It didn't fit with the that guy's demeanour or the way that he was. I don't mm. think he would... He didn't speak like that generally. But then when he was quoting from... He was quoting from The Dark Knight at one point, one of the Batman comics. Oh, right. I just felt it just stuck out in the script so much. It was right. just like there was just thrown in there for the for the sake of being in there. The do-gooder, Holton... Yes. It was profoundly irritating. All right. But, um, so he's he's straight edge or teetotaler. Um, and there's no explanation in the movie about what straight edge is, where it comes from culturally. The, it, at the start, the character Holton is in a workshop and there's some vaguely punky music on in the background. He's got some terrible um, fake tattoos on him. <laughs> and it, it just comes across as such a dull... Ugh. You've all met this kind of person. They're just so worthy and dull mm. and it's not reflective at all what any sort of the straight edge or hardcore punk scene is actually about so our hero holton is a very a dull boring person and he takes it upon himself or is it the the counselor who goes around with the drawing i can't remember well, they both merged merged into one boring person. Yeah, it is. It's the counselor who goes around because Holton has shown him the drawing. Shown him the drawing. Holton befriends this boy who is the son, presumably of Arctic. Yeah. Um, and the the, the, the son shows him drawings, uh, and what we should probably mention, it doesn't make it clear in the in the summary, is that Arctic's comic book obsession extends to actually drawing his own comic book which yeah. you never see that much of he's trying to make his own comic book and, and he seems to be the main character in it yeah. as well and his son has started drawing him mm. and it's clearly him Yeah, you know um, big hulking bearded long haired yeah. guy 
Um, and he shows that to Holton, and Holton shows it to his friend, yeah. the counsellor of Alanon, who <laughs> decides that the best thing to do with this information <laughs> is to just go around to their house and say, I found these found drawings this. and I'm worried about your son's state of mind. And you're, uh, you're bad parents, and they are bad parents. I think what you mentioned there about the comic book stuff, it would have been better if it was a serial killer creating a comic book through... You know, and writing a comic book about his own actions as a serial killer. That would have been great. Um, But they didn't do that. They just had a load of irritable characters that I didn't care about. I wouldn't have minded if Holton did get tortured to death. Um, The counsellor gets a fork through the jaw, which is... Which is good. A good bit of of visual gore. It's a good bit of practical gore. Well done, yeah. Yeah. But I just didn't care about any of the characters and the delivery, the use of comic book quotes was so clumsy and the apparently hidden references to comic books was not hidden at all so there was direct prose used Holton's terrible temporary tattoos um, right. I think they were Tank Girl's tattoos and he had patches on his jacket that were just so that the rest of him was quite sort of greasy and oily because he worked in a some sort of workshop, so he was quite right. a grubby character, and then he had this jacket with these pristine white patches on that right. were referencing comic books, and it was just like you being slapped in the face with these comic book references that were neither intelligent nor because hidden in the plot. I, I, I feel I should <laughs> explain that the director and I think the producer or one of the producers was there, and they did a little intro at the stars of the film, yeah. saying, see if you can spot all the references. Yeah. And me being a dunderhead, the only <laughs> one I spotted really was um, there's a Spider-Man comic you can, you, that you can see. He's yeah. always reading comics, and you can't clearly see what comics they are, but there is one shot where you yeah. could see that it was Spider-Man. You see at like, the top corner of a Spider-Man comic. Mm. Yeah. But it just, yeah, I wasn't um, excited by by this film. Right. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm getting that impression. Um, so I, I think I can throw a, a slight amount of contrast to you. I, I didn't like a lot of this movie, but I did. I was not bored by the experience of watching it. I, mm. I found it okay. Um, I, I did. Maybe I was focusing on things that particularly charmed me about it. Like the fact that the character Holton, um, you describe him as one-dimensional and, and boring, which he was, but he was a <laughs> member... I just thought it was interesting, because you don't see it in movies often, and the director did say this after the show. Holton actually goes to Al-Anon, mm. which is is not an organisation that you see in, in movies or TV much. You see Alcoholics Anonymous a lot, but... Um, the fact that it was Alanon instead just struck me as like, oh, okay. Although I couldn't quite get a handle on him because the way I read his dress and things, his clothes, was that he was some kind of, well, like you, you, you described him as like a punk. Yeah. I, I thought he was maybe in a band or yeah. something. But the film doesn't really tell you anything about his life outside no. this Alanon group. That outside goes sticking his nose into other people's business. Yeah. And uh, so he, yeah, exactly. And he... Um, the other thing in his life is he hangs around and makes friends with young boys, <laughs> apparently. Um, I and, know that's fine, apparently. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, uh, and and then he, he he gets given this drawing by this boy, finds it a bit disturbing, and takes it to his, the leader of the Alanar group, who, yeah, um, he's a character who I felt sympathy for when he he'd done the unbelievable action of going to the house <laughs> of potential abusers and just confronting them. And maybe I liked him just because he's 
that specific character type the leader of an Al-Anon group you don't see in movies a lot. Mm. Yeah, when he was introduced, he's delivering kind of platitudes, like self-help platitudes to the group. <laughs> I kind of thought, he's a bit character designed to establish the fact that this is a group that the guy goes to. He's not going to become a main character. But then he is the only other significant character yeah. in Halton's circle that you get to know. Sorry, I said that I was going to be kind of positive about this, didn't I? <laughs> what I did like about him was that he's played by an actor called Chase Williamson, who just reminded me a lot of a young Michael Bean. So I just enjoyed looking at him. And he's wearing like these, these tattered, punkish clothes that remind me a little bit of the kind of tattered clothes that Bean wears in The Terminator, for instance, yeah. and stuff like that. So I just kind of enjoyed that. Um, I thought his performance was fine as well. Um, but, you know, like you say, the, the character is a bit kind of one note. He was. Um, and Arctic himself, the killer, he is played by an actor called Jerry G. Angelo, who's also the producer of the film. And it's always worth producing a movie when you can give yourself, like, the co-lead or, or something like that. Why wouldn't you? I mean, and he is quite <laughs> big and quite menacing. I'm not sure what part of the, of the US the film is set in. It, it says here that it was filmed in New Mexico. But um, he's got a kind of Minnesota accent. You know, yeah. he reminded me a bit of, like, Fargo or something like that. I've just, yeah. Places that I've heard those accents. But other people in the film didn't seem to have that accent, so I don't know. Um, it did have that sort of out in the sticks hillbilly thing going on yes I mean and that was another thing which I mean immediately maybe I fought too hard to not instantly dislike this film just because I think that kind of hillbilly horror is a bit easy to lean on and it reminds me of like Rob Zombie's Halloween films which I'm not (laughs) a fan of particularly and it was doing that maybe it was set in slightly a different part of the USA but it was still doing that trope I mean well now you've said that I wonder if I went into it wanting too, too much because I, I saw the words comic book obsessed serial killer yeah. and got really, really excited because it was like, oh, it's a combination of two of my favourite things. Yeah. And I don't I didn't feel like it did anything with those things. No, I agree. So, you know, I thought I was getting a serial killer movie and I, I, I wasn't. Yeah. And that's not what, not what it delivered. Yeah, it was just like a fairly basic slasher film. I distinguish slasher from serial killer. Sure. Um, Yeah. So it had a certain amount of violence, not a lot intellectually Mm. going on. Could say torture porn as well because there's people strapped to chairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of those movies live or die on whether you care for or even just like watching the protagonist. Yeah. And I was there going, he looks like Michael Bean. That's all right. If if this was actually Michael Bean, I'd probably sit and watch that film. You know. (laughs) So therefore, it was okay. Um, and it's well enough made, you know, um, it, it looks and sounds nice enough. And I thought the performances were okay throughout. But yeah, I think the very interesting idea of the comic book obsessed serial killer, the movie doesn't really do anything no, with. not enough. Um, there was a lot of lines where he was talking generally about these heroes yeah. in these kind of comic books. And I thought, which particular heroes are you talking about? <laughs> Give us some detail, exactly what has offended you or, or do you wish to correct? So I wasn't quite sure what Arctic's project was in that, you know, yes, he wanted to kill people, but what was he? I didn't think it was clear whether he thought he was a hero in some way by yeah. killing these people or whether he was testing them to see if they were heroes. It's like, and if you survive being hammered to death, then you are a superhero. But if not, then you're obviously not. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, I'll try again next time. Yeah. Um, and Let's see, flimsy. I've got the word flimsy written here. The film was flimsy. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, <laughs> essentially. And considering that the, the film does kind of make a certain amount of visual play of his drawings, mm. you should have understood more about what he was constructing or yeah. where it was going. Instead, he just seemed to be drawing himself a lot in menacing yeah. situations. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, maybe they were afraid of getting sued if they talked about specific heroes maybe. and characters. But I think they could have been a bit bolder and gone with that because having a character in your film talk about a fictional character yeah. doesn't mean that you're using that fictional character necessarily. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we live in a world where comic book movies dominate the box office and maybe smaller True. filmmakers are scared of... You know, you won't want to take on Disney. No. You won't want to annoy Disney's lawyers. <laughs> um, and I think you could tell in um, the little talk that Tom Bocci did after. Well, he's not like you could tell. It's not like you could define it. He outwardly said, I hate comic book movies. I know. He, didn't, he didn't say, I love comic books, but hate comic book movies. Yeah. Which is what you, you'd, you'd kind of expect him to make that qualification yeah. since he did write this movie inspired by comic books. By comic supposedly books. inspired by comic books. And, you know, for, for the record, I love the MCU. <laughs> right. No, for the record, I do too. Recently, like Martin Scorsese came out and said they're not real movies. Yeah. I can understand people <laughs> saying that, actually. I think filmmakers resent them because they're so CG heavy. There's green oh, yeah. screen everywhere. Um, I mean, uh, if you've seen... Um, like any behind the scenes footage it's just an actor standing on a green screen not even often in full costume yeah like Iron Man for instance Yeah, even the costume is put on afterwards Um, and you can imagine filmmakers going what did I go to film school for Um, and I think and and Tom Bocciops he did say I I worked with some of those guys once and he seemed quite bitter about it. The humble brag there as well. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah, my final thought about connected with this really is that um, it made me want to see Joker, which I haven't seen. I've not seen it yet. Um, And I've seen people either loving it or hating it. I've seen both. Well, actually, critics, a lot of them seem to hate it. But, like, my friend Tim, who's, um, who you know, and who's been on this podcast before when we talked about Star Wars films, he really loved it. Right. And said, don't listen to the haters, go and see it. <laughs> but in a way, I would like to see it and compare it to Arctic. Oh, mm. that's why I thought once I'd seen Arctic, because I kind of thought they're both examples of movies that kind of use a connection to comic books, mm-hmm. but actually they want to do something else. Mm. And is there a good way to do that? Or does it just compromise the film, which is what I think it did with Arctic? Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're both from directors who kind of came out and explicitly criticised other comic book or genre movies which you instantly take against because it's like they're trying to make their films seem superior sure um so i haven't seen todd phillips's joker um so i i I can't express any criticism of that but i just hope it's better than arctic i think that's the (laughs) final thing i'd like to say on that yeah what final thing would i say about arctic um don't bother (laughs) (laughs) right okay well um uh, this was the UK premiere of the film, by yeah. the way, and I think uh, it probably won't get many other screenings, but it will probably turn up on the Horror Channel. Uh, yeah, fairly probably. Soon, I can, I can imagine. So extraordinary. Why don't we see ghosts every day? Oh, leave me alone. Most hauntings are so small they go unnoticed. Maybe you could have a chat with my daughter, just to find out what's up with her. My name is Martin. 
What is evil? <laughs> I'm doing an incantation. Lonely driving instructor Rose is gifted with supernatural abilities, but doesn't regard them as much of a gift due to constant spirit-related requests from neighbours to exercise their possessed rubbish bins or haunted gravel. But when Christian Winter, a washed-up one-hit wonder rock star, makes a pact with the devil for a return to greatness, Rose has to find the heroine within. So there's a plot. <laughs> That's quite a unique one. Yes. So this is an Irish film. Well, it's according to this, it's a... It's a a Belgian-Irish co-production, mm-hmm. written and directed by Micah Hearn and Ender Lofman. And Micah Hearn was um, at Grimfest was. with his wife, uh, I think, Claudia O'Doherty, who's yeah. in the film. I'll just say straight off, I loved this movie. This is possibly my favourite of the day. Even though maybe Why Don't You Just Die it was a better film. Yes. This is the one that I would champion and recommend to yes. people. Maybe because it's, it's British. It's well, British. Right? I'd really urge people to go see it, and I've been recommending it to family members um, all week. Yeah, I, I just I found it was a really charming, funny, not at all horror film, supernatural no. comedy. And there's a few of those in history, you know, Ghostbusters, The Frighteners. Yeah, it's a rare genre, really, but it's it's a nice one, and it, this one works really well and feel good as well. It's it's a lovely film. It was mm. funny. Really, really funny. I think I'm always a bit wary of something being a comedy. So if I'm going to go to the cinema, I'd rarely go and watch a comedy. Sure. Because I think it's it's very easy to mess it up. Yeah. But in this one, I think they, the director said, didn't he, that they wrote it with Maeve Higgins in mind and she plays the lead, Rose. Yes, and she, and she, she wrote is a comedian. some of the script as well. And she wrote some of the script as well. And she's she plays it beautifully. Everyone, all the cast, it's superbly acted. Mm. Um, I would give a special shout out to the who plays the the widower is that barry ward that's barry ward barry ward so when he slips into his wife's character (laughs) it's absolutely wonderful just wonderful and i think everyone in the cinema watched the whole thing with a big fat smile on their face yes yeah absolutely the the mood in the room was enjoyed it's just just lovely and yeah, just to clarify, yeah, um, Barry Ward plays this character whose wife recently died and is still haunting his house. And at points in the film, she possesses his body just <laughs> yeah. suddenly. And, and has, a cigarette appears. <laughs> yes, the, this wonderful device where you can, whenever he's possessed, 
of the cigarette is suddenly in his mouth <laughs> and he's talking with a cigarette between his lips and it's just great. Uh, it is not in any way a serious movie no. about uh, supernatural happenings or anything. But equally, I would say it's got more heart than... Um, it's not like a Naked Gun-style gag fest where no. they just do everything they can to be funny. It's kind of quite disciplined. There's kind of um, period-specific humour in it. Like, it's set in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. The director explicitly said that because um, they didn't want any smartphones in it. But also there's a number of flashbacks to the early 80s yes. when the character of Rose was growing up and her father was like a TV psychic and and there are, and he sold videos <laughs> on um, supernatural topics and there are clips that you see throughout yeah. of these videos, very authentic looking VHS. <laughs> um kind of infotainment type videos with guides to where you can find ghosts in in your everyday life and things like that. Those clips put me in mind of um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes. Very much so. That's that early 80s, very Stephen King-esque. Everything's haunted. Yes. The world is a scary place, but done with such seriousness. Yeah. (laughs) Well, or deadpan quality. Yeah. It's, it's, Yeah. It's like... He's not trying to overly scare you, but he's very serious about the importance of what he's <laughs> saying. It's kind of things that you can't help but laugh at, like yeah. the idea of a, a small ghost. I think the um, the director said he was really tickled by the idea of like a small ghost. So small <laughs> items can be haunted, like um, there's haunted gravel. Gravel. In the, <laughs> the toaster. Yes, there's a toaster that like keeps waving its plug around. <laughs> It's just sitting on a, on a pavement next to a pile of rubbish, and you see. It's a haunted wheelie bin as well. Oh yes. Spaffing open. <laughs> and what it reminded me of, in a funny way, this might be quite an obscure reference, but uh, Matt Berry does um, a series that's on the BBC iPlayer called. Well, it's called Matt Berry Does. Right. Um, and it's like little monologues which are written by Bob Mortimer. Right. Just on a different topic every time, and they just use. Kind of obviously um, free of copyright stock footage to illustrate the points. That sounds and there's, great. There's one episode called Matt Berry Does Ghosts, and um, and, it, uh, and basically he has this mad monologue about where you can find ghosts in the UK. <laughs> so, UK ghosts have been known for decades, <laughs> and, um, and it just kind of really reminded me of that. But then does something which a little format like that could never do, which mm-hmm. is bring in characters and a story that you care about yeah. and and keep you with it all the way through. I yeah. mean, the villain in the movie is um, a, a tax-avoiding failed rock star played yeah. by Will Ford. One-hit wonder. Um, yeah, and um, there's quite a lot of scenes which are just him and, yeah. and, and his wife and what they're doing. And obviously he's kind of the villain of the film, but you don't not enjoy those scenes. Yes. Yeah. There's a charm to everything that about yeah. it, I think. Utterly charming, for sure. Yeah. The, the the final sort of shakedown at the end, where where they get out the special effects, basically, yeah, is is just it, it, the whole thing's just lovely. It's really. Like, we're lovely. sat here talking about it now. We're both grinning like yeah, idiots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd see it again. Um, oh yeah, know, I'd definitely um, watch it again. I was glad to hear that it's, it's yeah. getting a release because I might. Go yeah. along and take some friends. Yeah, you know? it's definitely a film to see with the crowd as well. Oh, for sure. It, you know? Yeah, for the I mean, for the proper belly laughs. Yeah. that you got. It yeah. wasn't just giggles. It it was belly laughs. And that actress, drug comedian, Maeve Higgins. Maeve Higgins. She's just great.
and um, I want to check out more of her yes, stuff. Yes, look at some of her other other work. Um, for and sure. It, it was it was just a breath of fresh air. It really, really was. After yeah. after Arctic. <laughs> yes, it, it no, it just came at the right time. Didn't it did. It I was well. definitely flagging. Um, so this so extraordinary was on at seven p.m. Yeah. You know, so we've already been there for ten hours. <laughs> Good heavens. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So, so go watch Extraordinary if you can. No, it yeah. Despite the fact that we we were ten hours down and energy was low, that yeah. film lifted us right up. So it did. Um, yeah, I would hugely recommend that. So on to our final film of the day. Um, not the final film in the festival that day, but the final film we saw because we mm-hmm. had to leave early. And possibly my favourite title of the day, <laughs> which is the shed. The shed. <laughs> I have to tell you something. There's something inside. It wants to kill me. Are you kidding me? Tom, I swear to God, there's something inside. All right, then show me. Let me see your pet monster. Dude, don't you see what this means? We can use this. This is power. What? Nobody's ever going to mess with us again. Are you crazy? Think about it. It's not murder, it's payback. This is not a gift or a weapon. This is dangerous. I'm supposed to be your best friend. Look what they did to me this time. What the hell is happening? Dumber, what's inside that shed? Get in. What's inside that shed? Um, (laughs) Say it like it is. (laughs) Written and directed by Frank Sabatella. An American film. I'll give you the the plot outline. As an orphan living with his abusive grandfather, life sucks for Stan. But he's got it better than his best friend Donma, who regularly needs defending against the school bullies. When Stan discovers a murderous creature has taken refuge inside his tool shed, he tries to battle the demon alone until Donma comes up with a far more sinister plan. Just realised it's called Dharma through the whole thing. I think he, I thought it was being called Dharma. Well, I thought, I, yeah, it's Jeffrey Dharma. Well, and somebody, <laughs> I thought that's an unfortunate surname. Well, um, somebody did, it did sound like that, and yeah. somebody did put the hand up at the end because you had to leave before did. the Q and A, didn't you? But um, someone in the audience did ask the director who was there. Right. Um, obviously, otherwise they couldn't have asked him. They said, "Do you name that character Dharma for a reason?" Mm. And well, the director said yes. He said, you know, because the character of Don is kind of uh, unhinged. Unhinged. Um, I've got a lot to say about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure that he was deliberately named that. The director mm. said yes, but he said, but I changed the spelling to just take it away from that. Right. But I think that might have been his way of realising that, oh, this guy has misunderstood the name. So I will just say yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, that was not his intention at all. I don't know. I, I suspect that's the case. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of this film, style? Well, I think overall, I did enjoy it. I think it was good to see vampires being monstrous as opposed yes. to sexy. <laughs> yes, because what that summary does not point out is that it's a vampire. Yeah, it's that, a vampire. That ends up in the shed. And they're horrible and they want to eat you mm-hmm. as opposed to they want to romance you. And oh, seduce you, yeah. yeah. And scary. And yeah, scary, they were well scary. Done. I mean, yeah. they were they were idiots. Right. Vampires were idiots, I think. Um, uh, you mean in, in this film or just generally? In this film. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, generally. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> well, um, the film starts with the character running from a vampire creature, mm. and the character gets bitten, 
and becomes the vampire, I guess. Yeah, turns quite quickly, doesn't it? But what it makes it look like, the way it's shot, and I don't want to get off to a point of criticising this film, because I did leave a lot into it, but I kind of... It was almost like the vampire bit him and then died. I know because the sun came out and it like vaporises. <laughs> like a bumblebee. Like a bumblebee. <laughs> so yeah, it's like I live to just bite and pass on the infection, and then but later in the film that that's not the case for the new vampire. It obviously bites lots of people and attacks lots yeah. of people. But I think what you get from that is you create this character who's kind of pathetic because the first thing you see them doing is running away and hiding. Mm. But a lot of characters who are scared. Mm-hmm. Are, are themselves frightening because of the lengths they will go to. And at the end of the day, this is a movie about a monster trapped in a shed and it can't step outside the shed because vampires are allergic to sunlight. But so they should remain. <laughs> yes. They need to sparkle. <laughs> well, yes, I, I hear things about that. I've not got an official position on that yet, but... Um, you know, but and I like the fact that yeah, he's trapped in this shed in in a kind of pathetic position. But also, if you step in the shed, you're dead. That you know, yeah. it's a very it's very dangerous for the character, and I think the film <laughs> has that tension quite well. But sorry, I haven't got all of your thoughts yet. I thought the dream sequences were good. All right, uh, Stan's dream sequences where he first dreamt of his. Mother and father. Oh, yeah, well, it's almost... It's a dream sequence that introduces you to him, isn't it, really? Because you don't realise it's a dream sequence. And those bits had some nice jump scares in, some Mm. decent ones. The school life and the vampire threat sort of doubled storytelling when we've seen it before in in Buffy. Um, Sure. I didn't find the school life stuff as as fluffy as as you did and didn't Mm. really mind the school bits. And then his friend, Dharma, Donma, who ended up waving the gun around to, you know, to finally get his own back on the bullies, I think was sort of emulating America's problems with school shooters. Right, yeah. Um, and I did have a bit of a problem with that, but only because in research that I've been doing anyway into into school shooters, which is quite a depressing topic, sure. um, and, the, and the stereotypical idea of shooters being loners and being victims of bullying... In the research that I've done, that's generally it's not actually the case. Okay. It's not cases of kids that who basically there's more going on than than being bullied or something that we've not got time for here. So I found the lad who who snaps because of bullying and then starts waving a gun around, even at his and putting the gun in his friend's face. I thought that was a bit a bit lazy, maybe yeah. to just yeah. you know to quickly turn a, a bullied kind of downtrodden lad into well now he's prepared to start shooting. Yeah. Um, which I found st- stuck in my throat a little bit, but that's only because, as I said, the research that I have been doing into actual school shooters and mm. you know the motives behind them and what happens. Apart from that, the only criticism I had was I thought the end went on for a bit too long. Okay. Even um, though I'm looking here and it was only 86 minutes, it felt longer than that, but maybe that was because it was the end of a long day. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it ends up being... Um, it suddenly turns into a kind of different film at the end mm. where they it, it's no longer in the shed. It's a bit zombie-like and at the end, isn't it? Barricading yeah, themselves in. It's characters fighting off multiple vampires mm. by the end in a house. Yeah, in a way it becomes a more standard kind of horror movie mm. it more so becomes the kind of thing you've seen before yeah it's got the, um, the montage of them barricading the windows and yes. hammering wood across doors and yes. looking for weapons and yeah we noted that because that was more hammer another used. hammer it yeah. wasn't it wasn't actual <laughs> hammer related violence it was just hammer being used yeah. as a hammer yeah but um, still you know we, we, we were hammered out by that point I mean. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, well, I enjoyed it. Um, my biggest criticism of it really was, uh, as you alluded to, the um, the school stuff. I just thought that was a bit. I've seen this plenty of times. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was okay. Mm. You know, you mentioned Buffy in terms of linking supernatural horror to school life, and yeah. and Buffy did that with great elan every week for yes. many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All praise I, Buffy. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Good heavens. Um, yeah, they're on the verge of announcing what the reboot sequel is going to mm. be, and I'll be quite interested. Yeah, so I think if you do that stuff, you've got to do it very well, and yes. in particular... I mean, for instance, do you know the movie Ginger Snaps? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that was a oh. great example of a movie... It could, That came out at the same time mm. as Buffy, and it did a lot of similar things to Buffy, mm-hmm. but, it ha- but it had enough of um, a twist on it, mm-hmm. its, its own vision, for it to be completely worthwhile as its own thing, whereas this was more kind of like... The horror stuff... The use of the the shed as a focus of suspense, <laughs> um, the kind of mechanics around that. There's a great bit where somebody kind of realizes that it's a vampire and therefore it's uh, allergic to sunlight. So you just allergic. Gotta, well, yeah, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that's what vampires. Yeah, they're, they're allergic. They're allergic. If, if they just had antihistamines with them, they just need an epipen. Yeah. Um, so you know they just start shooting holes in the um in the shed so that the day the daylight gets into the shed mm-hmm. you know there's just bits like that because I, I remember for a certain amount of time i was screaming at the thing in my mind in your mind just burn the shed down that's what i was thinking you just know, bulldoze the shed yeah <laughs> uh, it's fine because but you know but they did get to that point sort of yeah i don't think it fully ran with it Mm-mm. but but all that stuff was quite well done but then this girl stuff i thought was just like yeah, just kind of wrote. Yeah. And, and I think, as with most school things, you know, the actors tend to look in their late 20s. Oh, yeah, that's true. And um, that's fine. I mean, that was true of Buffy as well. Yeah. And that's just the way that the, the, the industry works. You can't... It's too difficult to employ really young actors accurately aged to play those roles because of supervision mm-hmm. issues and all that. And if you do, you get in trouble. But I think... Or can do. Yeah, but I think that... Because you've got this instant visual thing of it doesn't quite look right, doesn't quite feel right. Mm. The writing and performances have really got to be on it to convince you of that world. And if, and if they're not, it's just a bit... Uh. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how I felt, really. Yes. But I, I do think that um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think the cast were all good. The, the vampire creature was actually played by Frank Whaley, who's... Mm-hmm. Uh, in films like Field of Dreams and things like that, it's more, we it's one of those. I mean, I recognised him, but without knowing yeah. where from, you know. And I th- I think he's quite good because he didn't look like a kind of um, you know he's not the the vampire guy from Fright Night or one of those yeah. kind of impressive looking vampire creatures. Mm-hmm. He was more in 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 the um, tradition of like Reggie Nalder in Salem's Lot kind of thing. Uh, and all the more menacing for it, I thought. He also had a nice cameo by Timothy Bottoms as um, Stan's uh, granddad. Yes. And he's really good. He's really good at playing an absolute arsehole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, let's just say he doesn't make it all the way through the film. Yeah. I won't say any more than that. And and also, I did like the director, um, mm-hmm. Frank um, Sabatella, Sabatella yeah. when, he, when he came out to talk about it at the end. And um, they they did make a point of asking him, what's next right. for you? Uh, and And he was a bit vague. <laughs> about what his upcoming projects are but I, you know I think there was enough invention and focus in this that I'd like to see you know Frank what would you do with a werewolf movie yeah, what, you know yeah. just, just 
given a different kind of genre. And the different probe. monster. There's two other things I just want to mention about it. I like the way the Grimfest program describes this movie as essentially being Salem's Shed. Salem's Shed, yeah. Which is, is I mean, yeah, that's that's fair enough. And also, um, Frank uh, Zapatella did say that one of his main influences was uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Out. Because there's a scene in the movie. An awesome movie. Where, um, yes, well, you know, one of those 80s iconic kind of classics, you know. And I think in this movie there is a scene where Stan has to run home from school before the cops get to home and it keeps intercutting. So someone specifically put their hand up and said, was that inspired by the running scene in Ferris Bueller? And he said yes, basically. And did everyone cheer? (laughs) (laughs) It was well received. um, And John Hughes is always like good. If you're going to make a teen movie... Then a John, you watch them John ones Hughes. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it's a good inspiration. For sure. Um, and because you're always going to get compared to them anyway, so yeah. you might as well draw from them. So, yeah, no, I really liked it and it was a, a nice end to the day, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I hope he does. He does more. I'll tell you what, maybe this is my personal feelings as a sometimes filmmaker, sometimes actor. But I just noticed how, how can I say this delicately, how old Frank Sarabatella was. <laughs> um, you know, he looks in his 50s and he's like, he's making his debut team movie now. And it's like, what are you doing next, Frank? And he should be going, retiring. But he's actually, you know, he's at the beginning of his career. He's probably worked his way up through being a clapper boy and all for many years and all that. So it's never too late. That's yes. what we've learned. Absolutely. Well, look, Ridley Scott is still directing and making a mess of things in his 80s. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's hope for everyone. It's fine. Um, oh, diddly squat there. It was Ridley Squat. Ridley Squat. Diddly Squat. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I think I'll leave it at that. Yeah. You don't want to get me started. Um, but um, right. so thank you so much, Stella. Hopefully we'll do this again next year. Yeah. So um, that was Grim, two thousand nineteen. Nice one to the organisers. Um, mm-hmm. Simeon Halligan and uh, Steve Balshaw who were both there for putting together another fun programme will be here next year I'm looking forward to it already yeah me too Hello again. So um, there we are. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, just a bit of information about how you can obtain some of these movies which haven't been released uh, yet fully in the UK at the time of the recording. So our two favourite movies that we talked about are luckily now more accessible in the UK. So uh, Kirill Sokolov's Russian um horror thriller why don't you just die is now available to rent for home viewing in the uk so you can either buy it on blu-ray or you can rent it on vod from places like amazon.co.uk um, and my personal favorite of the films we saw ender lofman and micah hearn's irish supernatural comedy extraordinary is currently available on netflix in the uk so do give it a watch because it's fantastic that's on my um, list, my watch list on Netflix. <laughs> to oh, say. brilliant! <laughs> it should be on everybody's watch list. It's great. I'm, I, I, I mean, need to get around to watching it again myself. It's just so sodding. But also, I don't know if uh, you've seen the trailer for the film, Kirsty. But it's just nice and unusual to have a movie come along that has something in the trailer which they've had to. Um, kind of mosaic out of the picture so you can't see it okay oh no yeah i think i know what you're talking about yeah yeah and somebody <laughs> so, so you know and the somebody in the edit suite was like putting that trailer together 
and going, we can't show this thing. Should we just not have that scene in the trailer? And somebody else went, no, just blur it out. It'll be fine. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, it's great fun. Um, so now we come to our traditional um, end bit where we talk about any recommendations we have of horror for this week. Um, Kirsty, do you mind if I ask you to go first? Not at all, not at all. Um, I only have two, actually, and they're linked. And they're linked not only to each other, but probably also to our earlier discussion of devs um, in that they, the first one is a horror, uh, well, science fiction horror. Um, so uh, I'm going to re recommend this week um, Under the Skin, um, Jonathan Glazer's 2013, um, uh, yeah, kind of horror sci-fi, um, starring Scarlett Johansson. Um, it's currently available on Amazon Prime um, and I love this film it is again one of those films that kind of is slightly unexpected in terms of what it is um, the kind of conceit is that Scarlett Johansson is an alien uh, in Glasgow <laughs> so you can imagine the pitch meeting for that one um and I'm so sold already. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's got these um kind of quite uh, again dreamlike kind of very you know kind of aesthetic uh sequences of uh kind of horror um it's quite emotionally challenging and disturbing in places um but it's all about her this kind of alien's sort of journey towards humanity um and yeah and the kind of things that happen to it it's it's, it's one of those very kind of it's you know it's it's an assaulting film in a, a range of different ways um but uh, it has this kind of quietness about it. It also, um, the score was done by uh, Misha Levi. Um, uh, and it is one of the most, I think, well done horror scores that I've ever heard. Just the kind of theme is just enough to make me sort of slightly contract my internal organs um wow. so yeah it's a really it's a really interesting film um and if you've not seen it dan i would strongly recommend it i haven't seen it i've been meaning to watch it for many a year so but the, yeah chance. some interest interesting kind of things about the kind of production of it so the part of the first part of the movie is sort of is scarlett hansen in a white van driving around glasgow um and she's not you know, it's clearly Scarlett Johansson, but, you know, not in a way that you would necessarily recognise kind of off the top of your head, particularly if you were in Glasgow. Um, sure. So what they did is they um, uh, set up hidden cameras in the cab. So she kind of goes around, she, um, you know, kind of gives, you know, people lifts. And there's a sense that for some of them though not all i might add that they don't know <laughs> it's scarlett johansson they're interacting with right which kind of adds this sort of whole again a kind of slightly uncanny level to the film um so it's a sort of blend of uh because of that sort of british social realism as well um yeah so it's an interesting film and then my linked choice from that is actually um available on uh movie if you have access to movie, um, although I'm sure you can find it other other places. So um, Jonathan Glazer last year released a short film, a horror short called The Fall, um, which uh, is only seven minutes, um, and it's uh, a very atmospheric, disturbing, and ambiguous piece where a a man 
is uh, kind of cruelly tortured by a group of people in woods at night and they're all wearing masks. Uh, it's, yeah, it's very atmospheric. It doesn't have a huge amount of story per se, but it's deeply unsettling and has something of um, kind of, it's kind of Murakami-esque as well. Yes. So those are my two recommendations. So they're both by Jonathan Glazer. Um, one is a short and one is a feature. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, I'll just ask you um, a question. Remind me uh, what else the music composer has done that you mentioned. Well, so um, she is um, more kind of an experimental uh, uh, kind of artist. She often goes under the name of um, Mikachu. Um, uh, but she has, or she also did the music for um, for the fall. So um, such as it is, again, it's kind of more kind of tonal rather than you know kind of melodic. Um, and but she's also done um, the score for. Um, just looking up now, um, uh, did the score for um, another film. Um, which I can't find the name for at the moment. Uh, I kind of, I think, oh yeah, um, Jackie in 2016. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, also um, Monos in 2019, it says. Um, but honestly, uh, just the, the score for Under the Skin is just, it's it's fantastic if you are into scores. <laughs> right. Which I am kind of increasingly, I think. That's a fulsome recommendation. Okay, great. Um just because you mentioned short films, um, I didn't mention earlier, and I know I'd mentioned it on one of our earlier episodes, but uh, Grimfest has uh, a YouTube channel where you get lots of the horror shorts that you know they premiered at their festival. Um, that's Grimfest TV. I think if you go to the Grimfest website, uh, which is grimfest.com, I think, or if you just go to YouTube and type in Grimfest, you'll find it, um, and there's some really interesting short films available there. Um, and also, that's the place to go if you would like to donate any money to Grimfest, because uh, they're an organisation which deserves continuing support, especially at the moment when they can't put on any events. Um, and therefore, um, I think people are starting to think maybe um, by October cinemas will be open again so maybe we could have things like festivals but it's it's obviously very uncertain at the moment yeah and i think it's interesting isn't it that the bigger festivals um are moving aren't they to more towards kind of online hosting so i like that it's um like the Cannes film festival um is doing some online content this year and i think um south by southwest and what was the other one they got together with somebody else and then did hosted some stuff online might have been Sundance I don't know um yeah right. so I think that that yeah but it's they're kind of whilst they can do that the you know one of the functions of um film festivals is to find distribution isn't it for in independent films that's probably harder to do sure yeah, it's great if you're a film fan because you get access to all the stuff that you wouldn't you know unless you're prepared to go to wherever these you know things are being held um, you wouldn't necessarily see, but I think for distributors it's slightly more difficult. So, yeah, yes. we'll see. Um, hopefully the industry will just continue to adapt because at the moment I suppose that it's not only that you can't find the distributors, but they haven't really got many places to distribute to. No. Um, 
so maybe everything's going to become streamlined for a while. Um, let's hope so, anyway. Um, uh, so my recommendations for this week, um, I've got a few, because last week we were, at this point in the show, and we were running out of recording time, so I just said, BBC iPlayer! Um, and that was it. Um, I, I'll go into a little bit more detail now. Um, the collection of movies on BBC iPlayer is quite weird in that, you know, there are the films that are on TV this week and they'll appear on the iPlayer for a week or so and then go away. Uh, but there's also a, a number of films which just seem to always be there and are, are, are certainly are there for months at a time. So for the moment, for instance, there's quite a few notable horror films um, that have just been there for ages. And, and I've checked and they're going to continue to be there for, for months. Um, so you've got Cat People from 1943, which oh, is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I Walked with the Zombie and The Curse of the Cat People, which were all made around the same time by most of the same people. Um, you know, great movies. Night of the Living Dead, the original George A. Romero version, is on there. Okay. Um, the Relic from 1997, uh, which is not a great movie, but I remember enjoying, uh, is on there permanently, it seems. Paranormal Activity, which I've never seen, um, but is obviously a, a kind of key uh, part of the found footage um, procession of horror movies, is mm -hmm. on there. And also, what I think is one of the best horror movies of this decade, or the decade just finished, is um, It Follows. And I think that's hanging around on there as well. So Okay, I've that, not seen that one. Oh, it's really good. Okay. Uh, um, it's got a fantastic musical score. It's kind of a reverse slasher movie. Um, in the, it, it takes the kind of trope from... Slasher movies, which kind of goes all the way back to Halloween, I suppose, whether intentionally or not. I mean, I argue in our episode about Halloween that they didn't mean for it to communicate that. But, you know, the trope that um, um, you you have sex and you die in, in a horror movie, whereas this is the plot is basically that um, this demon attaches itself to people and the only way that they can get rid of it is to pass it on through sexual contact with okay. someone else and, and it's like a sexually transmitted disease then so the demon then fixates on the on the other person um uh, that uh, that's the setup um which you learn within the first few minutes but it, the way it explores it is really great the film's aesthetically very interesting it's kind of art directed to be set in a strange timeless kind of suburban america that's somewhere between the 1950s and now like people are watching black and white tvs in it but they also have um i don't know smartphones or maybe one character has like um, a makeup compact which is also like a small television oh, okay. um i think if i remember correctly um the music which is by um a combo called disaster piece is a fantastic kind of um slightly 80s synth wave um mood uh piece that's really great um so anybody who's not seen that it's there on the iPlayer um for free and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere um and it's yeah it's hugely recommended it's it's just it's genuinely frightening in places 
And for anyone who likes slasher movies but has got bored because of the repetitive nature of them, I mean, this kind of will will feature a number of the things that you like about the slashers, like, you know, the young characters and the, the high school setting. and But then it does something very different with it. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest recommendation out of the kind of permanent films on the iPlayer. But also I just want to mention... Another movie from 2013, like Under the Skin, a British horror movie called The Borderlands. Oh, yes. Which... I you... <laughs> so I've seen this. <laughs> oh, great. Yes. It's fantastic, I think. It is. It's, it's one of those that, you know, kind of, it's, you know, didn't get much attention, did it? And But it's actually very effective, isn't it? To sort of slightly reinterpreting some of those found footage tropes. And It's really good. Uh, yeah. And the ending is just, wow. It has a pretty incredible ending. And also, I, I think it's just great. that For most of the film, it's basically a two-hander. It's these two actors. Gordon Kennedy is one of them, and I can't remember who the other guy is. Um, but I know that he... I think he was a crew member on some of the Ben Wheatley films, and he's a cameraman. And But they also kind of discovered that um, he could act. So they... So he basically plays the cameraman in the film. He's he's handling the camera equipment, but he's also playing this character. Yes. So is that Robin Hill? Could be. Who plays Grey. Yes, I'm just looking, so. <laughs> looking on um, IMDb. And yeah, they've got great chemistry. You know, a lot of it is kind of improv scenes between these two guys. Um, and, and it... it it works as a character piece as well, but it's it's got a very nice sense of dread and, yeah, as you say, a great ending. And um, I might as well plug another podcast, even though they don't need me to plug them. But um, the Evolution of Horror podcast, uh, if anybody um, listening to this hasn't heard that, there's a really good episode of that where they talk to the producer of The Borderlands, Jen Handorf, and she gives some really uh, interesting insight into it because... Um, you know, it is a really good example of kind of extremely strictured British horror filmmaking. You know, they clearly had very little money. I mean, she's the same producer as did uh, Prevenge, by the way. Oh, right, OK. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 a really inventive piece. Um, and it's only on iPlayer for a couple of weeks. It's not one of the ones that stays there. So listeners need to run to catch that one. Um and it's, it's highly recommended. I just want to mention as well, um, I've bizarrely been looking at My5, uh, the the uh, streaming service from the the Channels 5. Yeah. Um, and just to see what kind of films they've got on there. Um, and they've got millions of films. Do they? Um, but they do, but most of them are either like Hallmark TV movies or, you know... Um, Mockbusters from the Asylum. Right. So you've got like the Asylum version of Sherlock Holmes, and um, most thrillingly, you've got Titanic Two, starring Bruce <laughs> Davison, um, which I, I think I might have to watch. That just is so ridiculous. But they do have a, a, a few cinematically released movies. They must have just struck some strange deals. Um, like they have quite a lot of Woody Allen films on there for some reason. Well, yeah, and might be to be with uh, yeah how uh, Woody Allen is currently you know viewed by 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Fine public. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. But they do have a, a trilogy of part British horror films that are quite notable. And the one that I've seen and that I recommend is Let Me In, the remake that we mentioned last week of Let the Right One In, starring Chloe Grace Moretz. I think it's all right. It's not as good as the original. Uh, but it's okay. And it's, like I say, it's partly British. It's made by Hammer, actually. I was going to say, was it the first of the sort of new Hammer? Uh, that's a bit vague because they, I think during the late 2000s, they kept releasing films, but but each, and each time they build it as the first new Hammer horror film. Okay. But then when it wasn't a big enough hit, they just ignored that and then moved <laughs> on and called the next one the first. So the, another... Um, candidate for the first new Hammer horror film is on there as well, which is The Resident from 2011, I think, with Hilary Swank and Christopher Lee. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. And also there's a movie called Triangle from 2009, which is, again, a British co-production starring Melissa George. Yeah, I'm Um, aware of that. Yeah, I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's actually very good. Um so I, I just wanted to mention that that's on there. So uh, very weird to have discovered my five, but it's yeah. um, something I'll keep my eye on. At least. <laughs> I mean, I'm only aware of my five because it, it has endless episodes of Paw Patrol. Oh, right. OK. <laughs> this is very important to my four year old. If you want to talk about horror, just, you know, a four year old who only will watch Paw Patrol on endless, endless loops. That's true horror. <laughs> well, dear, oh dear. Well, I, um, I will disclose at this point that I have professionally in my life at points been a Santa Claus. So I've had <laughs> conversations about Paw Patrol with literally hundreds of children. Um, oh. So I can kind of conceive where you're coming from there. Yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, I certainly know how important it is <laughs> um, to the little people, bless yes. us. So. So there we are. Hopefully we've provided our listeners with a ton of useful recommendations this week um, because there was a lot there. Um, Next week, uh, Kirsty and I will be back um, and we'll be talking about my recurrent obsession, which is the films of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, uh, because soon on the podcast, uh, Howard will be returning, my um, old partner in crime, and we'll be resuming our journey through the movies of those stars. So I thought it'd be nice for Kirsty and I to have a bit of a chat, um, and because uh, Kirsty, I'd, I'd you know I'd like to um, introduce you, or at least make comprehensible <laughs> a little of of our ongoing obsession with this this body of work so i'm looking forward to that yeah so i'm gonna watch some in the meantime so that i can at least have a vague sense of what what you're talking talking to me about next week no brilliant no i enjoy that i enjoy the um the prospect of that very much so that's fantastic so kirsty thank you so much once again this week it's a pleasure thank you uh you're very welcome um thanks to stella as well who's obviously not here right now but for lending her voice to the earlier segment and um thank you listeners for well listening um we'll be back next week in the meantime take care bye bye you have been listening to and now the podcast starts produced and released by ambidextrous solutions limited presented by kirsty warrow stella gaynor and td velasquez Special thanks 
to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>